Well, in Minnesota, we have four seasons, and it's pretty exciting to change from season to season. You know, when you're in winter, you're looking forward to spring, and as you get through spring, you're kind of looking forward to summer. And then when we're in summer, I think most Minnesotans would say we're looking forward to fall. Um, don't know too many people who are saying we're looking forward to winter, but the change of the season always brings a little excitement. It's in the time of the season though, when you get to about halfway through the season or later, that it starts to come, become a drag. In fact, in the summer, which is where we're at right now, we call it the dog days of summer. They begin to get a little stale and old and people start getting tired of it being so hot and humid. And for many people, they look at, at this time of the year and, and they think, boy, I can't wait until the crisp days of fall come. You know, sometimes in life, we have things that happen in life and, you know, it just kind of gets a little, we kind of get stuck. We kind of get tired of where we're at. We're at this place where we're, we're kind of in the doldrums of life and we really need a fresh wind. You know, we, we need something that kind of moves us beyond this. And I want to start a new series called Fresh Winds. And uh, this message really talks about making some right decisions that get us through the doldrums and the seasons of life that we go through. And I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16. It says, May the Lord bless Anephis Phorus and all of his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. Then he says this, he visits, His visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. Revived literally means in that place is he helped me to recover my breath. He helped me to, to kind of just be encouraged. He lifted me up and he was there to kind of give me strength when I needed it most. He kind of gave me a kick in the pants and reminded me why we're going through all of this stuff, why we face some of the struggles that we face. And, you know, people aren't living this way right now. You know, most people don't like to be confronted about where they're at in their life. You know, when someone's at a place where they're in a spiritual doldrum or a physical doldrum or just a stuck in their uh, in their relationships and, and just a low place in the relationship, someone comes up to them and says, hey man, what you, what's going on? What are you doing? We really struggle with people speaking into our life or confronting us when we're just stuck. We really want people to believe that everything is okay just the way it is. And as, so this word doldrums that I'm using, and you may be saying, well, I've heard doldrums, maybe you know what it is, but it actually is a scientific term. And, and, and it's interesting because it really fits what I'm talking about here today. What it is, it's an intertropical convergent zone. Now I know, now you think I'm really smart. Um, and, and what it is, is the Northern hemisphere the winds spin one way, and in the southern hemisphere, the winds go the other way. And when they collide together, there is a place in where they come together where the winds just stop. In fact, there have been stories of many sea ships that have gotten into the doldrum area and they were stuck because wind uh, was their a power source and they weren't able to power out of it because there was never any wind. Because the two forces 
uh, were working against each other and, and it's exactly where they met. And I think that's where a lot of people are in their marriage, in their job, in their health, and a lot of other, they're, they're working against each other and it's created a doldrum and there's no wind to move them on. It's no wind to, to kind of push them forward and they're just stuck. And maybe you're in that place right now where you just feel stuck in your life and every part of your life. So I want to I want to give you four stages before I get into some things that will really help you uh, get out of those stages, some steps that will help you get out of it. The first stage of the doldrums really is the one where we start pretending. We just pretend like everything is okay. Someone comes up to you and says, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Even though deep down inside, you know things aren't great. You know they're not wonderful. You're in debt. You're lonely. You're lost. Um, and and you're, you're sitting there and you're going, yeah, but it's, it's all good. It, it's all going to be fine. And, and, you're tell, and, and people notice something's not right and they come up to you and they even press a little bit. And you even work, even though you know what they're saying is true, you work to pretend to act like it's not like it's all okay. There's no problems. I'm just fine because we don't want anyone to know that there could be something wrong. You know, it's uh, uh, we lie to people and and we just say it's just it's just fine. You know, my parents, uh, when we were kids, we'd go over to someone's house and my parents would say, hey, when we go in there. I want you to be good, and if they ask you if you want anything to drink or eat, you tell them no. We're like, well, why, Dad? Why would we do that? If they're asking if we want something, why would we do that? He's like, because they're really not asking. They're just trying to be nice. They're just pretending to be nice. We're like, but why? Why wouldn't they want to do that? You know, and there's a lot of people, we just think they're just trying to be nice, and they don't really want to know, and so I'm not going to tell them. And what it's done is it's created this atmosphere of, of fakeness, like we're fake. Some of you, um, we, we're, we're, we go to church in a car, and by the time we got to church, man, we're all destroyed and wounded because we just had a war in the car in the church. But the moment we walk through that door, we put on the big cheeseburger smile, and we're like, yeah, everything is great. You know, everything is wonderful. It's all good. And your kids are bleeding in the nursery. You know, it's... It's not all good and you need to stop pretending it. When you're in the doldrums, you need to stop being fake. In Jeremiah 6.14, it says, They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. <laughs> peace, peace, they say. When there is no peace, these, it's basically talking about spiritual leaders saying, It's all good, it's all good, but it's not good. And you're never going to get recovery. You're never getting out of the doldrums. If you don't call the ship to come in, that has a gas engine to pull you out of the doldrums, you need people around you to know that you need prayer, that you need help. The second thing that happens, and the next step after we pretend like nothing's wrong, second thing we do is we just blow it off like it's no big deal. Yeah, there is something wrong, but I'm going to get through it. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. It's all going to be good. It's just fine. There's this lie we tell people, time heals. Time does not heal. At best, it just doesn't get too bad. But time doesn't heal. You, without the Holy Spirit, without other people in your life, it's going to get worse. 
When you're in the doldrums of life, you need to know that, that the only way to get out of it is to take it seriously, to realize that this is something the enemy is trying to use against you in your relationships, in your job, in your finances, in your health. Hebrews chapter 12, 15 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it. Take action to it. You know, I, I had a house uh, that we built in Michigan, and it had no yard. And I, I brought in a bunch of black dirt, spread it all over the yard, and I planted the grass seed. And this lawn wasn't sod. It was James Bifford grass, man, Kentucky bluegrass. It was thick. And I took pride that when people came over and they said, boy, this is like a carpet. I'm like, yep. Yeah, I, I did that myself. I got a little bit of a green thumb, you know, and, and I would I had a riding lawnmower that would cut that thing just nice and straight. And and one time I'm riding along on my mower and I see this weed grow up and it's this thistle weed. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what is that doing in my yard? So I just mowed over it. I was gonna kill it with my mower. Well the next time I, I did it, it grew back up and I just mowed over it. I did that a number of times because it was too lazy to get off my mower and to pull it out with my hand. Finally, after months of just mowing over it, it had gotten to a point where it was almost three foot tall. And, and when I'd hit it, it would just, it wouldn't mow or even wouldn't, it wouldn't even cut it very well. And I realized that I had to do something about it. So I got out to pull it out of the ground. I could not pull it out of the ground. I had waited too long. When you don't deal with things that need to be dealt with, when they're small, they're going to get big. And it took a long time. I had to go get my shovel and destroy the yard around it in order to pull that weed out because I was not willing and too lazy to fix it when it could have been fixed back when it was small. The second, third thing we do is we quit. You quit. We just give up. Some people just give up. They commit suicide. They give up on their marriage. They give up on God. They give up on their dreams. They, they give up on their life. You know, there gets to a point where when we just don't take it seriously and then when it gets so bad, we just quit. We just give up. We, we just say there's nothing I can do. You know, um, there's, a, there's a person that was, uh, there was a person that emailed me not too long ago said, Pastor, I've been inviting my friend to come to church and they're coming. And uh, basically they were telling me, my friend's coming that I've been inviting for a long time, don't mess it up. And, and what they were saying was, is this person had given up on God because of the, a lot of the challenges uh, that had happened in their life. And, and they were convinced, this person from our church had convinced them to give God one more chance. I wanna tell you, if you think God has let you down, friend. I'm telling you, he will never let you down. He has never let you down. You, you really need someone to help, help you see that it wasn't God that caused those things in your life, but it was the enemy, and he's, he's masquerading as this divine force, and he's trying to destroy your life. Don't quit. Don't, don't quit. Don't give up. In Job 17, 13, it says, Where then is my hope? Who can see my hope for me? Job had lost a whole lot of stuff. And he said, I, I really don't feel like I have any hope left. We just quit when we get in the doldrums. When we try to ignore the doldrums, we just give up and quit. 
we need to stop before that happens. The fourth thing we do is you die. Some people, that, that means they actually physically die. Other people, it means they, they morally die. They just give up on a moral life and, and they just die morally. Some die spiritually, some die socially. They just, they, they hibernate, they avoid people. They try to stay away from people. They don't feel like um, they, they can interact with people because they always get hurt or I don't need anyone. So they isolate themselves. And some of you may be in that place right now where you've been isolating yourself. You've been socially dying. You've been morally dying. And maybe you're even physically dying right now because you ignored uh, uh, some of those uh, signs that came earlier on in your life. You know, for 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9 says, We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Maybe you're stuck in the doldrums. You just feel like nothing's ever going to change. Our relationship is never going to change. My kids are never going to change. I want to encourage you that things can change. And when you take the steps that I'm going to give you in this series, I believe that God is going to work a miracle in your life and in the environment and situation in, in environment in the in the surrounding uh, uh, situations in your life um, but you got to make the right choice you got to make the right choice um, most people get in the doldrums because they made the wrong choice and here are some of the choices uh, we need to make and the first one is uh, a lot of times we do things externally and we need to let God work internally God works from the inside out. When you try to do the external things without an internal transformation in your life, you're going to get in the doldrums. You're going to get tired of doing it. You're going to give up because you're trying in your own strength and ability to do something that God says, I'm going to do in you. It is your weakness. God says, in your weakness, I am strong. God wants to work in your life. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life uh, of, uh, uh, that, that I believe was Christ. And then there was the tree of knowledge of good and the tree of knowledge of evil. And Adam and Eve pulled out of the tree of life, which was saying, God, you're our source. And they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and the knowledge of evil, which essentially was saying, God, I will be my own source. I, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm able to do this by myself. And that has never worked. You cannot change without the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're probably in the doldrums of life because you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to figure it out on your own. You have, uh, you know, there's a parenting principle that... Uh, my wife and I uh, tried to hold to with our kids. You can scare your kids. You can punish your kids. You can force your kids into acting right in some cases, not all cases, uh, because some of you tried to do that. But nothing will change in them until they have a heart change. 
their heart has to believe what you're trying to teach them. You can say all day long, well, I've been teaching my kids this is what they need to do, and if they don't do it, I'm going to ground them into it. I'm going to force them into it. I'm going to punish them into it. And what I would say today is, is if you want your kids to live out what you know will be life-giving principles in their life, their heart has to believe it. They have to have a heart change. Same, same thing in, in your marriage. Uh, you don't need to, oh, I can't look at that person, can't look at that person, can't, I, I got to behave better. And, and rather than trying hard to be a good spouse, you need to just love your spouse. Because you love them, it's not hard work to avoid things in our life that will destroy our life. So we got to start making right decisions in our life. I want to, I want to go to Genesis 2.9. It says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the doldrums. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. You know, I grew up in a church where your spiritual life was, how good you were spiritually was determined by your performance. How well were you performing? How were you acting? What was your behavior? You may not have had any relationship with God at all. And some of the people in there obviously had no relationship with God. And in public, they would act one way, maybe act something else in the private. You cannot force or peer pressure people into acting correctly. They need a transformation in their heart. Deuteronomy 3.19 says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. There are three choices that I think we have to make in our life. Three choices that we have to look at. Number one, doing more or receiving what has already been done. Some of you think that I got to do more, I got to pray more, I got to read more, I got to worship more, I got to do this more, do that more. And our attitude when approaching God is in order to get God's favor, I have to do more. I got to act better. I got to behave better. It's, it's all generating. Getting God to do something is generated by what I do and how I act. Like in order for God to be a good God, I have to be a good James. In order for God to be a miracle-working God, I got to do a miracle-working attitude or behavior in order to get Him to do that, rather than just receiving the fruit of a God that loves you deeply, that cares about you deeply. John 5 says, you diligently, and this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, He says, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. He's saying, yeah, the scriptures, reading scriptures, praying, those are great things. But you're missing the one that they're about. The word, the scripture, God, Jesus was right in front of them. He said, I am the word. He's right in front of them. They're studying words on a page while the word is living right in front of them. It's about going to him and receiving from Him. Pursue, pursue the Scriptures to discover Jesus. Pursue, pursue prayer and worship to discover God. It's not about the cross. It's about the one who died on the cross. That's who we need to seek. The second thing that we need to do, the second choice we need to make, is between trying to get God's approval or receiving God's love. 
We don't need to work to get God's approval. While you were yet a sinner, God died for you. He didn't, Jesus didn't go to him and say, hey guys, um, I'm going to go to the cross and die. Um, but I just wanted to check in. Are we still good? If I do that and I take on your sins, are you going to receive me? Because, boy, it's a lot of pain. It's going to be a lot of suffering. So I just kind of want to make sure that we're on the same page here. And, and if I give my life, you're going to kind of give your life because I really don't want to do this for nothing, right? We, we get this idea in, that, that, that God, or the God we serve, is like the Wizard of Oz, you know, the big, mean, green guy that, that he asks you what you want, but you get the feeling he really doesn't want to give you what, what you need and want, you know, like he's, he's almost trying to keep you out of his heaven. And he's, he's kind of like those grandparents that don't want all the grandbabies around uh, to mess up their house because everything's in their, or, in their place and they kind of get irritated when the kids mess everything up. You know, we, we, get, we, we treat God like that even though he's never done anything to make us believe that that's the way he is. If, if anything, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. The amazing thing about that, it says, for God. It was for God that he gave his son so he could gain you. God isn't trying to keep you out of heaven. God is trying to get you into heaven. He's trying to rescue you from the lake of fire. He's trying to rescue you from the curses that have put you in the doldrums of life. He loves you, but you got to make a choice. Are you going to try to work for his approval? Or are you going to receive his love. You know, there's these chick, uh, chick tracks that they used to hand out a long time ago. And there were tracks they would give to people. And in it, they, they uh, kind of uh, conveyed this picture of God as this big, you know, sitting on his chair, Abe, Abe Lincoln type in, in the Lincoln Memorial as he's sitting there. And then, and then the people were these little dinky little ants, like just little things they, that, that this big monster could just stomp out. Yeah, God is a big, big God. But his stature and size cannot even compare to the stature of his love for you and I. We have to understand he loves us. The only time um, in these chicks, it's the only time he talked to us was when he, we messed up or he wanted us to do something. We get this image of God like the only time he, he interacts with us and wants, is when we've messed up and we need to be punished or we think we need to be punished or he's wanting us to do something. He says in, in this scripture, and it's so important because we got to receive God's love for each of us. It says in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The third choice is obeying out of duty or obeying out of delight. Now, all of us come to God at some point in this, and we look at this, and, and we either obey out of duty or we obey out of delight. Out of duty, we say, I have to do these things in order to get God to, to, to love me, to know that, that I'm going to be good enough for God, that if I'm going to be a good Christian, i got to do all of this out of duty. We do it because God said so, and we, we punish ourselves. Like, uh, for instance, many of us went to church, and we, we were bored out of our mind, and you went to church because that's what you do when you're a Christian. You know, you're bored, and, and in fact, a service was even best if when we left, we felt horrible. 
we felt guilty and we felt judged. Then we were like, yeah, we had church today because I felt attacked and beat up. Man, that word really tore me apart. There's this sense that God wants to like tear us up and beat us up and, and, and we do things out of duty rather than out of delight. God wants our relationship with him and the things we do in that relationship to be based out of something we want to do. You know, the scripture, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, if you're, if you're worshiping God out of duty, you read that and you say, well, if I love him, I got to do everything he says. You know, there are a lot of Christians that you meet that are mean Christians. They used to say the reason they're so mean is because they want to be doing everything the world's doing, but they can't because they're living out of this sense of duty. Their heart really hasn't changed. It's all based on their behavior and I have to behave right or I'm going to hell. And we were raised that way. My grandmother, who is a great saintly lady, pastor's wife, she would say to us, liars go to hell, liars go to hell, thieves go to hell, you know, and yeah, everybody goes to hell except for the grace of Jesus Christ. You can also read that verse and say, if you love me, you will obey my commands because you want to, because you want to follow this God who loves you. It will be this intense pleasure to do what he's telling you to do very much as something that cares, someone who cares about us and they're helping us out and they're leading us along and you follow them because you know they love you and you love them for what they've done in your life. You know, there's this, um, this book that was turned into a play. It's called Fiddler on the Roof and it's about a Russian Jew and uh, he had daughters and these daughters met men that their father didn't approve of because he, he, he believed that in matchmaking, that the father was supposed to choose the husbands for his daughters. And the daughters hated it because they loved, they said, I don't, we don't want to marry the men you want us to marry. And he's like, well, it's, you need to marry matchmaking. That's the way it's supposed to be. And, and they bring these men to him and, and they ask him, can we marry these men? And he says, no, tradition. This is what we do. This is who we are, tradition. Well, during this whole thing, this man listening to his daughters and the plea of, of, of these daughters to marry these men they wanted to marry and not the ones the father wanted to marry, he's, he's faced with this dilemma. He was, he was match made. And so he goes to his wife and he says, do you love me? And, and he asks an internal question, do you love me? And she responds this way, I cook for you, I clean for you, I, I take care of your kids for you, I manage your house for you. And, and she says all of these things. He asks an internal question, she answers with an external question. She says, he says, do you love me? I want an internal, and she says, well, these are the external things I wanna show you. And, and it really sets us up for this verse that I wanna show you because I think we tell God the same thing. We do this as well. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of, hand, uh, kingdom of heaven, but only who, he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. 
Jesus is, is saying, essentially, he's asking an internal question, do you love me? And we say, but God, I'm doing all these things for you. And he says, but do you love me? We answer with external questions. If we're going to get out of the doldrums of life, if we're going to get unstuck from this, this very apathetic um, place in our life where, where it feels like we're going nowhere and there's no excitement and there's no joy and, and we just we feel like life is passing us by and, and we just don't know what to do. That place we call doldrums, the first thing, the first principle we need to get right, the first choice we need to make is we need to love Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. It really is that simple. Please hear me. God hasn't ever failed you. There have been people who've tried to blame, maybe even you have, tried to blame the issues you've gone through on God. God has only loved you. And, and he's waiting. He put Christ out there literally to, literally to draw your love to him. The Holy Spirit right now is wanting to draw your heart. Will you say, Holy Spirit, come and do that right now? Friend, this isn't a religion. It isn't about following teachings and rules and obedience to all the commands. This really is about the gospel of Christ. What the gospel of Christ is really all about is just loving Jesus. Let's start there. Let's fall in love with Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, there are people watching this right now that are stuck. They're in the doldrums of life. And Father, they have had so many people literally kind of shape how they view you seeing you kind of like the Oz, the Wizard of Oz, that big, mean, green God that kind of doesn't want us in heaven is, and is kind of putting roadblocks in the way to keep us from heaven. And the only relationship He has with us is to tell us where we messed up or to tell us what He wants us to do. Lord, I pray right now, I pray that You would do what only Your Holy Spirit can do in this, in this moment. To this person who is stuck that needs a fresh wind to blow into their life and to begin to move them out of the doldrums of life. I pray you do this right now in Jesus name. Amen.